This is Limit Up, the place where we explore markets, strategies, and trading psychology to take your trading to the next level. Good morning, traders, and welcome to the Limit Up podcast presented by Top Step Trader. This is the show where we talk about futures, forex, markets, trader psychology, the whole shebang. And we're always doing it with the industry professionals who know best. Over the next month, we'll be celebrating leadership and discipline here at Limit Up. After all, those are a couple of virtues that'll take you a long way in the trading industry. And guess what? Today we are interviewing a general. Because who knows more about leadership and discipline than a general, right? Our new host of Limit Up, Jeff Carter, will be interviewing Major General Carl Horst about leadership, his career in the Army, and how we can apply the lessons of military leadership to the corporate world, the trading world, or just the real world. Traders, Carl Horst has had an incredibly impressive career. He graduated from West Point, moved through every level of the Army over the next 40 years, commanded 56,000 combat troops in Iraq, and was recently selected to serve as the president and CEO of the Congressional Medal of Honor Foundation. Basically, he's making me question what I've been doing with my whole life. This is going to be great because let me tell you, General Horst wrote the book on leadership, literally. It's called Common Sense Leadership, and you can find it on that big website on the internet that sells books. You know the one I'm talking about, and they don't need any free advertising from the likes of us. Or I suppose you could take a time machine back to 1996 and find it at your local Barnes & Noble. But then again, would a book published in 2016 even exist in 1996? I suppose that's a paradox worth exploring. But before we get the Jeff and General Horst, let's get caught up on this week's markets with Top Step's modern-day Oracle of Delphi, Mark Meadows, and his market reaction. This week was a breath, a pause. Markets are digesting the news from the past two weeks while prepping for the G20 meeting to come this weekend. And then there's the 4th of July holiday next week. This is setting up to be very interesting. On one hand, I could see the market not liking the news out of the G20 and sending equity markets into a sell-off. But then the long-term trend kicks back in with the expectations that rates are moving lower and there's a Fed put below the market. That glorious Fed put. That's why I'm not concerned with my long-term holdings. But in the short term, I am excited about the volatility that could arise early next week. But come Tuesday midday, I'm checking out. I'd encourage you to do the same. There's no reason to trade the rest of the week when volume dries up. Stay away, recharge, relax, and then get back to the markets fresh on July 8th. And that's your market reaction. Thanks, Mark. Ladies and gentlemen, I won't keep you waiting any longer because it's time for the main event. So sit back, crank those earbuds to 11, and prepare to learn about some situational awareness, discipline, and leadership that will take your trading to the next level. You may also learn a little something about jazz. It's now my pleasure to present part one of a two-part conversation between Army Major General Carl Horst and the new host of the Limit Up podcast, Mr. Jeff Carter. Hello, everybody. This is Jeff Carter. I'm with Major General Carl Horst. He is the President and Chief Executive Officer of the Congressional Medal of Honor Foundation. He's got a very distinguished career, which we'll get into um, anytime you're a general, um, your distinguished career. One thing that interests me about General Horst is 
he went to West Point. So he graduated from West Point in 1978. I went to the Air Force Academy and dropped out. Why did you decide to go to West Point? How did that whole thing come about? Jeff, first off, thanks for uh, having me on, and mm-hmm. it's a it's a pleasure to see you again and uh, to have a discussion. So, my career is sort of an interesting one. Right. Um, my dad and I had a uh, fundamental disagreement about where I was going to go to college after I graduated from high school, and uh-huh. he had one idea, and I had another. And the compromise position was that I enlisted in the United States Army in 1973. Holy cow. So you were an enlisted officer that then went to West Point. That's a rare bird. Yeah, that's correct. I was uh, I enlisted in the Army. My dad and my granddad were both uh, Navy guys. And so my dad said when I told him I was going to enlist, he said, well, you know, the United States Navy did a lot for me and for your granddad, and I'm sure it'll do a lot for you. And right. I said, well, Dad, I didn't enlist in the Navy. I enlisted in the Army. <laughs> and so, so it kind of gives you an idea of the uh, environment yeah. there. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, I enlisted uh, 10 days after I graduated from high school. Wow. Uh, went into the Army, and I competed for an appointment to the military academy uh, and got one. Did you do the prep school before? I did. You did? Yeah, okay. I sure did. I I, uh, I went to the United States Military Academy prep school uh-huh. and uh, matriculated into the military academy through the prep program Wow! as a romp and stomp in private first class. Uh, and then I went to West Point, continued my uh, – my education and time there. Um, it was an interesting situation that I was in because I was on a three-year active duty enlistment. And of course, your first two years right. at the academy, there's no commitment, except that because I was an enlisted guy, I had a commitment. So I was compelled to stay for two years. Otherwise, I was going back to the regular army. Right. And then when I my enlistment expired, uh, corresponded when I incurred a commitment for being at the academy more than two years. Right. And so if I left, I was going back to the regular army. And so I just stayed. And then when you graduated, you went back and to the regular went, army and, and, anyway. And when, I gra- <laughs> and, when I went, and when I graduated, I went to the regular army. So so my options were go to the regular army, go to the regular army, or go to the regular army. <laughs> That's funny. And you did 40 years. I did. I retired in October of 2013. And, uh, and my, my total time in uniform was uh, 40 years, three months, and 24 days. And so you say, well, why do you have it down to the to the days? And that's because the VA can't count, so you have to be able to count. And uh, no, I it's yeah. just that's what my DD two fourteen says uh, awesome. at, at the end of my time. So it was a wonderful journey. Uh, I will tell you, Jeff, that I had the privilege of living out my boyhood dream of being a soldier because that's mm-hmm. that's what I wanted to be. And so I um, I lived out my boyhood dream. And where did you grow up? I grew up in uh, Washington State, uh, oh, okay. about two hours out of Seattle, um, in a small rural town in uh, in Washington State. And so West Point is on the other end of the world almost. I had never been on a commercial airplane until I enlisted in the Army really? and went to basic training at Fort Dix, New Jersey. Wow. Uh, so my first commercial airplane ride was going to basic training. Oh, my gosh. Then I spent the, the, the next five years uh, on the east coast of the United States, which was uh-huh. really different from where yeah. I grew up. And, right. And I can say that after my journey as a soldier, I spent more time away from the West Coast and where I grew up than uh, than I ever did live there. So, Interesting. So you've got a book out. It's called Common Sense Leadership. And I kind of want to get into that a little bit. And I think West Point, as we saw yesterday, you know, we're recording this on June 7th. Um, yesterday was the 75th anniversary of D-Day. Correct. And Ike was a West Point grad. Correct. Uh, Omar Bradley was a West Point grad. Correct. 
And George Patton was a West Point graduate. Patton was a West Point grad. Um, and if we look at Ike and, you know, the roots of where he learned leadership, it was at West Point. Sure. And when you go in, they beat the crap out of you. Why do they do that? How does that relate to leadership? Well, it, it's, it starts by instilling discipline. When we matriculate to the academy, when we, when we join the Army, when we yeah. join the Air Force, when right. we join the Navy, right. uh, there has to be a common baseline and you have to establish discipline. You have to establish discipline. You have to establish values. Mm-hmm. You have to establish a hierarchy. You've got to create boundaries. You know, one of the challenges that we have in, in this world right now is there, there appears to be a fundamental lack of boundaries of propriety. And I think that's one of the challenges that we're seeing. I think we're seeing it in Washington right now. But back to your original right. question, that process is to instill baseline discipline in men and women who choose to serve. And one of the things that happens at basic training or at new cadet training mm-hmm. or whatever is uh, the leaders make an assessment of how well young men and women can adapt to a disciplined way of life. Right. What's interesting about that is trading, you have to have the same thing. Sure. You have to have constraints. You have to have discipline. Without it, you're not going to be successful. And you have to have boundaries. In that sort of statement, you talk about boundaries, discipline, constraints. And so people think it's a closed box with automons and robots. Is there room for creativity in a space like that? Sure there is. Sure there is. Do you think you can be more creative in a space like that? I think you have to be creative in ways that comport with the environment that you're in. So we we frequently hear think out of the box. Right. You can very constructively think out of the box while still maintaining a set of values. You can think outside the box while staying inside of the boundaries of the environment that you are in. And it really gets to character. And in the book, my first leadership tip is live by a set of values. So the question is, what are your values? Right. And can you take those values and can you be innovative and think out of the box within the value set you ascribe to? And and I say the answer is yes. And and I will tell you, one of my mentors was General Gordon Sullivan, Mm -hmm. uh, 32nd Chief of Staff of the United States Army. Uh, he was a brilliant leader. And mm-hmm. what, what Gordon Sullivan taught me was that leadership is like jazz music. That is so interesting you say that. That is really interesting that you say that. Let me yeah. tell you how, how that works. And, and I will tell you, General Sullivan gave me a book by Max Dupree mm-hmm. called Leadership Jazz. Mm-hmm. General Sullivan very much uh, subscribed to the theory of leadership is like jazz. Right. So all musicians – are trained in a classical, traditional method right. on the instrument that they choose. Right. What makes jazz so appealing is, is they then go beyond their traditional training. They think outside the box and they innovate and improvise with the musical instrument that they have been traditionally trained to play. Mm-hmm. And that's what creates jazz. Leadership is like jazz music. We're trained in a traditional way with a traditional set. And then that improvisation, if you will, of your personal character, your personal uh, proclivities Mm -hmm. is what creates your, your unique leadership style. That is interesting because, you know, they talk about basketball 
I played basketball and it's like jazz. There's rules. You've got officials. You've got boundaries and stuff. But the the game flows, right? Correct. And soccer, same thing. Correct. And then when I was trading on the floor, what was interesting is I talked to this one guy and he said, I only hire ex-athletes or ex-musicians and that's it. And it's because they can perform. There's a lot of noise out there. They can still focus on the thing. They're competitive. Musicians are as competitive as anybody. Sure. What athletes bring to the table is, is in most cases, athletics is a team sport. So there's a set of boundaries associated with that. But with musicians, uh, their ability to improvise and create their own unique brand, their own unique style of music is what sets them apart. Right. So one of the things that's very difficult for business people, traders in leadership is you start as a trader small and you see these big guys, you know, that are very wealthy, right? Carl Icahn, whoever. And you want to be one of those guys, but you don't have the capital to be one of those guys. Sure. And so you start small and you're having success. How do you know it's time to make the leap? So in, in the army, the, the tangent would be, I'm a platoon leader. I'm a second lieutenant, first lieutenant. And now I'm going to make the leap to the next level. How, how do you know you're ready to make it? How do others know? And what do you have to change to make that leap? And then if you fail, how do you recover from it? Sure. Well, in the military, Jeff, as you know, it's it's a heck of a lot easier because the military establishes timelines and gates, if you will, for mm -hmm. promotion. You know, normally a lieutenant is a second lieutenant for two years, right. a first lieutenant for two years, and a captain for seven or eight years, right. and a major for a couple of years. So there's a systemic process to advance men and women in the military. Mm -hmm. However, there's an evaluation process whereby their leaders, their supervisors, their managers, if you will, have to make an assessment of how well that individual performs at that particular pay grade. And so while demonstrated performance is good, the real thing that we're looking for is what is their potential to function at the next highest level within the military? I would tell you from a business perspective, it's a lot tougher. It's a lot tougher because you don't have established gates. You don't have those thresholds that you have to pass through. And you may or may not have a formalized assessment system that says, this individual has the potential to move to the next higher level. So in the military, you have sort of like this time-honored thing that they review over. And in the business, how do you take inventory of yourself, inside yourself, that you know you're ready to go to the next level? I think that it takes a very candid, objective assessment of yourself. What are your values? How well do you live to your values? What's your level of competency? What are your goals in life? Where do you want to go? Life is a journey. It's not a destination. Right. There's a lot of self-introspection, if you will. And where people get into trouble is when they have a higher opinion of themselves mm -hmm. than what their competency and capabilities can support. Right. That's where people get into trouble. Uh, people who move too fast, and, and you've heard the term said, People that outrun their headlights. Yeah. Uh, Get over their skis. People right. that yeah. outrun their headlights sure. uh, tend to crash into things. That's right. Because they don't see the way ahead. And so 
I think it has to be a very, very candid assessment of yourself. Mm -hmm. It takes a, a high degree of confidence in yourself, but it also takes a very objective assessment of yourself. And, you know, the, the natural tendency is to view ourselves a bit larger than what we really are. Absolutely. And I think from a trading perspective, it's similar. You want to get to that next level, but maybe personally it doesn't work inside you. Correct. And so, like, for instance, when, when I traded um, on the floor, I could take up to a certain amount of risk where I felt really comfortable and could sleep at night. My buddy that stood right next to me, for some reason, he, in his brain, had no governor. Yeah. And he didn't care. Yeah. Now that guy wound up making a lot of money because- But where's he at now? He did okay. He's bulletproof at this point unless sure. he goes crazy. Sure. But I saw other people that had the same thing that utterly failed. Yeah. Well, I think what's really important is, is you have to have, first and foremost, a vision of where you want to go. Because if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. That's right. Yeah. That's so the right. first thing you have to have is you have to have vision. What do I want to do uh, in my career? Right. Whether it's in trading or it's in the military right. or it's whatever. What What is it you want to do? Right. The second thing you have to have is you have to have passion about what you do. Mm -hmm. If you're not passionate about what you're doing, are you doing the right thing? Are you in the right niche? Do you think, though, that it's more about effort? Should you follow your effort? I think you and that follow, becomes your passion? I think you follow your passion and you give your best effort. Okay. Okay. That's interesting because I've heard like Mark Cuban say, follow your effort and it will become your passion. Well, you know, Mark Cuban is uh, is is significantly more uh, financially solvent <laughs> than I am. So I'm certainly not going to argue with him. But I would tell you in my instance, I think you follow your passion. Yeah. I think okay. you give your best effort. And that's what leads you to success. Because okay. if you're not passionate about what you're doing, do you have to ask yourself the question, what am I doing? Right. And if you're not passionate about what you're doing, is it a J-O-B? Right. Or is this my life's vocation? Sometimes, too, you're pursuing the right passion, but in the wrong way. Yeah. And so you have to reframe it like, and adjust. Like Maybe it's not the path you're pursuing, but there's another occupation out there that has that passion, that has all the elements of it, you know. I have a, a lady that works for me. Uh, mm -hmm. She's a former dean of a business college in California. Uh -huh. Very, very bright lady. And she and I had sort of the same discussion. And she gave me a really, really great analogy. She says, there's really, there's two kinds of people in life. There are tourists and there are pilgrims. Yeah. And the question you have to ask is, are you a tourist just along for the ride? Right. And this is fun. Look at, see the sights. Right. Or are you a pilgrim that makes the journey with a purpose and a direction right. of where you're going? Interesting. And so I think, I, I think the, the whole discussion of passion, effort, uh, falls into the category, are you a tourist or are you a pilgrim? And the people that are most successful, the people that are the greatest value to your organization are people that are pilgrims. Right. So Carl, prior to this, sent me a, a list of 10 sort of leadership principles, and we'll go through them. I sent them to startups that I'm invested in, and they have many of them have printed it out and put it on the wall of their office. So it obviously is pretty important and works. And the leadership number one is live by a set of values. So everybody talks about values. Sure. And they're different for everybody. Sure they are. Even today, right, in America. So we kind of have two tribes, kind of the Democrats and the Republicans. They live by two different sets of values, which is a cause of a lot of the conflict. 
How do you decide, like, what's that going to be? Well, for me, spending 40 years in uniform, yeah. the Army had a set of values, right. seven of them. And so for 40 years, that set of seven values were kind of a guiding light for how you should be, how you ought to be, how mm -hmm. you're expected to be. But I would tell you, if you look in chapter one, mm -hmm. you'll see some of the values are consistent with the Army values, but some of the values are ones that I personally sure. think are important. And so so I think what people have to do is, as you look at a set of values, a, a good company will give you a set of corporate values and say, here are the four things or here are the six things that are really important sure. to us. Here are our values. But really, again, it's it's like jazz music. Right. How do those values comport with how you live your life and how you think? What's interesting, though, about that, Carl, is, for instance, at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, they had a rule book. Sure. And they had Rule 514, which said how to make a trade. And there were like 10 steps or something like that. But if you went from pit to pit to pit to pit, it was different in every single pit. Even though it was in, on the same trading floor, same memberships, same badges, they had different ethics in every pit because the values were different in every pit. And you just hit on something that I think is important. I think you have to have the same set of ethics in every pit. I think you have to have different ways of living by those ethics. Yeah. So it gets into the style points. Right. It gets into, you know, what are the things that are acceptable mistakes to make and right. what are non-negotiable mistakes. Right. So what I would tell you that a non-negotiable mistake is a violation of your integrity. Sure. Warren Buffett said, look, if you have a set of values and you have people that don't live by integrity, the rest of the values are irrelevant. Look at the trouble Bernie Madoff and those crowds it? got into and what what value were they violating? So, so those Ponzi schemes – they were violating their integrity yeah. and they were violating ethical behavior right. expected of people that manage other people's money. Right. Absolutely. So those are non-negotiable mistakes. Yeah. So leadership number two is have a creator ethos to guide your daily activities. Here's the thing about that. In the Army, we had the warrior ethos. Marine Corps has an ethos. All those services have their own unique ethos. Right. The warrior ethos, the Army's ethos was, I will always focus on the mission. I will never quit. I will never accept defeat. Mm -hmm. And I will never leave a fallen comrade. So what that ethos does is it sets a set of perspectives inside of people. When the boss is not there, when the leaders right. aren't there. Right. And the situation is confusing and the situation is ambiguous mm -hmm. and somebody has to make a decision and all of a sudden everybody's looking at you. What are you going to do? And so if you have an ethos that drives you, I know that I have to focus on my mission. I know that quitting is not an option. I know that accepting defeat is not an option. And I know that leaving my buddies behind is not an option. So now I know what to do. Right, exactly. And I can do it fast. And I can do it quickly. And it yeah. becomes inculcated in people. And so, you know, for example, I I have the privilege of leading the Medal of Honor Foundation. Right. Uh, I interact on a daily basis with 70 of our nation's <laughs> living heroes that made split decisions in the absence of guidance in bad situations. And if you have inculcated in you an ethos that drives you, uh, you will instinctively react in bad situations in the absence of guidance. 
you will do what you need to do to meet those four criteria. And what's consistent in every single Medal of Honor citation, exceptional valor in the face of danger without regard for self to save the lives and help other people. And that takes me to leadership tip number three, which is maintain situational awareness. Always be aware of your environment and the people around you, which I guess a lot of people these days call it being in the moment. I think it's more than that. Yeah. It's more than being in the moment. So one of the things that I always did, particularly when I became a general officer, um, I had to be very cognizant of where I was. I had to be cognizant of who was in the room. I had to be cognizant of what their agendas were because people always want something from somebody. And so if you know who the people are in the room and you know what they're interested in, one, uh, you can be more helpful to them. But two, you can protect yourself from unintended advances or asks or things like that. And it's really good guidance Mm -hmm. for anybody. And, And I think it's important in your world as well. You know, if you're in an environment and there are some high net worth people in the room, Mm -hmm. but you don't have a clue who they are or what they do, and you you stumble into them at a cocktail hour and say, (laughs) hi, I'm Carl, what do you do? Yeah, right. And you find out you're talking to a guy like Dick Duchessois, okay? Yeah, Uh, right. And so Mr. Duchessois hosted us for dinner last night. Oh, yeah. And, and of course, yesterday was the 6th of June, and I said, you know, our country spent – the entire day celebrating the 75th anniversary mm-hmm. of the invasion of Normandy right. and the greatest generation and what they meant for America and how it transformed not only America but the world. The world. Dick Duchessois was a tank commander in Normandy, okay? And so he's telling all the recipients how he wouldn't be where he was if it weren't for them. Right. And I just turned the table and said, no, no, Mr. D. Yeah. We wouldn't be where we were at if it weren't for you. Right. My childhood dream was to be a soldier. And I was inspired by you and the greatest generation. And if it weren't for you and your generation, I would have never had the passion to do what I did. So thank you for being a good example. Thank you for being a good role model. And thank you for helping me follow my passion and live my dream. It's amazing. And, um, you know, as you look back, well, you're a little bit older than me, not much. I'm 57. And I was kind of taken an inventory of sort of World War II vets that taught me that were my teachers. So my basketball coach in junior high was wounded at Ewo. Uh, The dean of the middle school was a medic at Bastogne. You know, my social studies teacher was at Saipan, you know, and on and on and on. My first Medal of Honor recipient that I met was a guy by the name of Colonel Bob Nett. And Bob Nett and I met at the main post Catholic chapel at Fort Benning, Georgia Mm -hmm. in the mid 80s. And we happened to both be Eucharistic ministers, and mm-hmm. Bob Nett took an interest in me. Bob Nett, Colonel Bob Nett, uh, Medal of Honor recipient, December 13, 1944, Leyte in the Philippines, right. rifle company commander. Bob Nett took an interest in me. And for three years, I had the privilege of interacting with Bob on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, his wife, Frances, took, a, took my wife under uh, her wing and so for three years, we had a Medal of Honor recipient and his wife were our mentors. Oh, wow. And Bob Nett, <laughs> I was a captain. Yeah. I was a captain. Bob Nett taught me a lot about being a good soldier. 
Bob Nett taught me a lot about being a good leader. But most importantly, Bob Nett taught me a lot about being a good human being. And I would tell you, Jeff, that had it not been for the coaching, teaching, and mentoring of mm-hmm. Bob Nett, I probably wouldn't have stayed in the Army as long as I did. Mm-hmm. And I certainly would not have achieved the levels of responsibility that I did mm-hmm. in the Army yeah. were it not for him. Right. And so imagine the honor that I feel being able to lead the Medal of Honor Foundation. And, and when, I, when I talked to them, when they asked me if I would take the job, one of them said to me, you're retired. Why on earth would you want to take this job? Right. And my answer was simple, because Bob Nett would expect me to. So this is my opportunity to pay it forward. I'm giving back. Traders, due to time constraints, there was just no way we could pack all 10 of General Horse's leadership principles into one episode. Frankly, that's just too much leadership for the human mind to handle in just one sitting. And since your safety is always our first priority, we decided to split this interview across two episodes. Thus, we will be bringing you the second half of this interview between Jeff and General Horst next Friday. There will also be a brand new market reaction and maybe even a new fun segment we haven't even thought of yet. In the meantime, keep an eye on your risk parameters, join the Top Step Trader community on Facebook, read our blog, watch Dan and Hogue on YouTube each morning and afternoon, But most importantly, have a wonderful weekend, everybody. Namaste and trade well. This episode produced by Dante32. Futures in Forex trading contains substantial risk and is not for every investor. An investor could potentially lose all or more than their initial investment. Risk capital is money that can be lost without jeopardizing one's financial security or lifestyle. Only risk capital should be used for trading, and only those with sufficient risk capital should consider trading. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results.